Hi, I'm Phil Barantini and this is The Going Rogue Club, the podcast that delves into the careers of film and TV's heavy hitters. Each episode, we'll find out about their journeys and the unconventional way they got there. So my guest today has always dreamed of becoming a writer since a very, very young age, and he's achieved amazing success, including the BBC One drama, The Responder. But the story of how he actually got there is fascinating to me. So we finally got Tony onto the show after a couple of tries. Thank you, COVID. But it was worth the wait. We got into all sorts of things. A life-changing pint in a pub with the legendary Jimmy McGovern. His advice on thinking tactically. His many careers before success as a writer. And the fact that anyone who can tell a story can do it. So please welcome to the Going Road Club, Tony Schumacher. Tony, you're a writer mm. now. What inspired you, mate, to become a writer? You know, I know you've written some books and stuff like that before you, you did yeah. TV and, and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, but what, where did the journey begin? It's, it's, it's weird, you know, because what inspired me to be a writer is, there's like, and, and I always say this, and it's like a pithy one-liner, you know, it's the closest thing I've got to a pithy one-liner, <laughs> but it is true, to some extent, is I was running out of options. Right. I got to a point where I was thinking, like, there's two ways. One, I wanted to pay me rent. At that point, I just wanted to pay me rent. And I had no qualifications, no education whatsoever. And I just thought, like, what can I do that requires no qualifications? You know yeah. what I mean? I couldn't yeah. get a decent job in the civil service. I couldn't get a decent job. I couldn't get a decent job. Mm. High-paid job. Mm. Um, so what can I do? And I thought, I'll just revert back to the thing that I wanted to do when I was 16. Right. And, and that was being a writer. Yeah. And it, 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 so that's the pithy five line answer. Mm. But when I was a little kid, I told this story the other week to my agent. He, I still don't think he believed me, but it's gospel truth. It is absolute truth. When I was a little kid, my dad had two flat tires on the car. Mm. He got up in the morning and he had two flat tires on the car. So he put the spare on and mm. he said, I'll have to walk up to a place in Heighton where I grew up, uh, the Oak Me Street too. pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, the Oak Street pub, yeah. And it used to be a tyre place next door to the Oak Street. Yeah. There's a big place there now, but anyway, I'm going to see too much detail. But this was like a little, little rundown, little dump of a tyre place in about yeah. 1980, 81. And I should be able to tie this anecdote down to the exact time. I should be able to do this right. one day and I will do it one day. And he said to me, do you want to walk up and we'll get the tyre fixed on the car as opposed to driving it because he had two flat tyres. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. So I walked up with my dad. I was a little kid about I don't know, 12 or something. Walk up with my dad. And we're just chatting away, just talking crap, you know, mm. um, as a kid. And he says to me, um, he's probably bored off his head, me poor half fella. And he, <laughs> he said to me, see that house over there? And he pointed across Liverpool Road, which is like a big dual carriageway. Yeah. And there's a massive, like... Um, what was then council estate, but it's probably all private houses now, but it was then it was council estate. And he pointed across the road and he said, see that house over there? And I looked across the dual carriageway. Yeah. And he said, that thing you watched on the telly last night, um, the fella who wrote that used to live there when we were kids. Right. And I went, what? And he, he said, yeah, that was the Bleasdales. Wow. They lived in that house. My dad had grown up in that area. Yeah. I was like, it just blew me mind because yeah. we watched black stuff on TV yeah, for yeah. today. Yeah. It wasn't a series, it was the play. Right. And he, he said it was play for today on like Wednesday nights or something ridiculous on BBC. He said that's where that's where he grew up. And it was like it was mind blowing because I'd always been like obsessed with you know what everyone else was watching? Like you because you're younger than me, but everyone used to watch like um, 
wrestling on World of Sport, you know, on right. Saturday morning and all this. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, oh, yeah, wrestling and all this. And then the horse racing all afternoon or whatever. I was watching all the old films on BBC Two. Right. And I was obsessed with them. I was yeah. watching these old black and white films that were like, probably really cheap for the BBC to rent. So they were like, they weren't great films, you mm. know. They weren't like, you know, the Hollywood, they, they wasn't a Maltese Falcon, you know what I mean? Yeah, these yeah. were like films like, were like really like bad casts and all this. But I was obsessed with these black and white films that they'd always put on, or terrible westerns. And my dad's saying, somebody who had written something for television come from that house over there and we live a hundred yards away over there. Yeah, yeah. It just blew my mind. Mm. And it suddenly, that was the thing that made me think, oh my God, I could maybe do this. Yeah. Because I never thought I could do this. And obviously black stuff was filmed all around where we lived as kids, you know. So yeah, it, yeah, of it, course. It felt yeah. like real. Yeah. It, but Achievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the point where I started to think maybe I can write. But mm. then, I, you know, unfortunately, what, what the barrier to that wasn't my class. It wasn't, you know, uh, the fact that I didn't have a typewriter, it was down to the fact that I was just thick. And like, I couldn't, like, it, so it looked good on paper. Yeah. But sadly, it didn't look good on paper, if you know what I mean. When, when I actually sat down and wrote it, it did not look good. I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. So, so, so what age was that then around? I reckon I was about, I'd have to go back and look online, but I reckon I was about 11 or 12. Right. But I can remember it vividly. It was, it was yeah. a genuine, like, it was like a punch in the chest. It was. Yeah. It was a thing, you know, and I remember it as well. I did, there's a couple of reasons why I remember. One, because my dad died when he was relatively young, so it's mm. one of them things that you just got in your head because yeah, it's a yeah, memory of being somewhere with your heart fella. But primarily, it's that Bleasdale thing. It was just that yeah, moment yeah. where I went, wow, that's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone like me could do that. Yeah, yeah. And then so so when you went to school and you were in, you were in secondary school and all that, so yeah. would, were you... Did you still have that desire then when yeah, you were doing yeah, it? And yeah. did, did you did you sort of write stuff when you were in school? Yeah, yeah, but I was, uh, honest to God, Phil, I was terrible. Yeah. I, I, like, it wasn't, I wanted to do it, you know, and, I mean, it wasn't a great school, like, God help them, you know, the teachers were up against it and we were, you know, not the best of kids, mm. I think it's fair to say. And there were some great teachers there who really were trying, but, you know, I mean, it was dumb. Um, but I didn't I couldn't engage with it. I just couldn't get my head around it. And it there was it wasn't, you know, dyslexia. It wasn't although I'm mildly dyslexic, I think, but it wasn't mm. like it wasn't that that was stopping me. It was just that I couldn't it I, like nobody could teach me about structure, nobody could teach me about and there was one thing uh, there was like so I'd go to it, I sit in English and I just didn't have a clue what anyone was on about. Yeah. And then it'd be like write an essay and include, you know, whatever. Uh, verbs and it. I still don't. I swear to God, guys, people don't believe me. Like, I don't know what a verb is. I don't know I, what a verb. I'm, is. I'm with you. With I know. And I, I was going to give you a test at the end, but I didn't want to put you on the spot. No. But like stuff, I just couldn't understand it. I couldn't get my head around it. And I would, um, I would write these things and just get like twelve out of twenty or something like that. So yeah. I was just kind of bouncing along. I was doing all right. Yeah. Quite, you know, slightly average mm. kind of thing. And then. I wrote a thing, um, uh, an essay. We were told to write a story. But obviously, mm. the teacher had to hang over, you know, and she said, like, just, <laughs> just go in here for an hour and write a story because I just can't face it. It's like when they were like Italian. Yeah, basically that. Yeah, you know, I can't be just don't, yeah. don't want to look at you. Yeah. And she um, she said, write an essay. And I wrote this thing called The Worst Day of My Life, and it was a funny story. And I got 20 out of 20. Right. And she, I remember she took me to one side and said, like, this is incredible. Wow. And I was like... Wow, you know, because I never got to it. I never got twenty out of twenty yeah. again at school. I just it never ever happened. But I think it was the it was like a little window of. But then, I haven't talked about it a lot, and you get 
kind of weirdly introspective, like because people are asking you, like, how did mm. you end up doing this? So I'm trying to figure out how I've ended up doing this. Yeah. And when I look back, I think when we used to play, like kids, you know, playing games and stuff, not football, because we're always playing football, but mm. if you were playing something else, say if we were playing Cowboys and Indians or something, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a war or Star Trek or something, mm. I'd always be the one who was telling everyone else what to do. And where we were. Right. It's only when I look back at it now, and I'd say, I used to know there, and you come through that door there, right. and just say right. that the Romulans have done this or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was like, it was. so it was always me who was doing that, which must have been me trying to get that thing out, but I didn't even know I wanted to do it. My horizons were so kind of weirdly limited Yeah. that I just didn't know, you know. So what did you do when you left school? Because presumably there was... You know, because I, when I left, I left school at 16. Yeah. I don't think you can do that now. No, 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 no. I don't think you can. Um, and that's a, a whole different discussion whether or not you should be able to if you want to. Well, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, we had careers today. And um, the, there was like, there was never any talk about going to university. Mm. There was just, it was just not, it was just never even discussed. I mean, probably because it was thick, like nobody wants to waste the time. So maybe it was <laughs> other kids who did. But like out of our year. Yeah. Um, there was one <coughs> lad, Tony Williamson, who went to university. There was one lad, and I reckon there must have been 180 kids in our year. Right. And there was one kid, Tony, who went to university straight from sixth form. Mm. But I failed on my O levels. But prior to taking the O levels, we'd gone for a career today. And I went into this room with um, this guy, obviously, he just hates kids, and I get it. Um, <laughs> and he's sitting there, this fella, you know, and he had all these leaflets and all this. And I just went and he just slid this piece of paper towards me and he said, Go and work in the BICC, which was British Imperial Copper Cables in Prescott. Wow. He said, go and work in BICC, which was this massive factory. It was like 50 football pitch, you know, yeah, yeah, huge yeah, big yeah. Yeah. industrial site. And he said, go and work there. They're always looking for people. So I said, yeah, right, yeah. So I took this form off him and I took it home. And it was like one of the last things. And my dad just said, that's not happening. Because really? my dad worked in factories all his life. Right. And he said, he's just not going to work in a factory. You go on back and you're doing sixth form. Because we all knew I was going to fail my old levels, which right. I did. Um, he said, you're going to go back, you're going to reset your old levels, and you're going to not work in a factory. Mm. I don't care what you do, but you're not working in a factory because I've done it. and It's not been good for me. Mm. So I said, okay. Um, and um, I I went back to sixth form. I failed on my old levels. Went back to sixth form. And didn't want to be there. And three days after being at sixth form, um, because when I opened said, there's a job going at this roofing company I work for. Do you want to do that? Right. And it wasn't a factory. Mm. So I said to my dad, can I go and do this? Yeah. And I think my dad thought, well, he'll get it straight. So I went to work in a, um, uh, for a roofing company. And it was I was just labouring nearly for them. Yeah. But the guy who ran the company, a fellow called Dave Cato, was still a really good friend of Dave just saw something in me that nobody else had, I think. And Dave just, I don't know how he did or whether he was just bored and thought, I'll pick on the kid. Um, and Dave used to say to me, go away and learn about something. And, right. And if you haven't in the morning, I'm going to give you the dig. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd go into work in the morning. And he'd go, so what did you learn about apartheid last night? Like, oh, well, nothing. I went out with my mates and we went to the pub or whatever. Smack. He'd smack me. Really? Really? He'd punch me in the arm. And I mean punch, you know, like a man punch in his 16. Dead arm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead yeah. arm, you know. And he'd say, right, well, tomorrow I'm going to hit you twice. Like, go wow. home and go and learn about apartheid. So I'd go home to my mum. Because um, my dad certainly didn't get much of an education because of the war and all this kind mm. of stuff. So I, I'd go home and um, my mum was super bright. I'd say, oh, mum, you know, they don't have me hand, you know. Like, yeah. can I? Can you tell me about apartheid? So my mum would say, yeah. 
and my mum would sit down and talk about it. Right. And the history of it and all this kind of stuff. And then she'd make me go to the library and get a book or get me, you know, mm-hmm. read The Guardian even. I'd like, I'd, you know, I used to buy The Dave made me buy The Guardian. Right. Dave would say to me, like, buy The Guardian in the morning, read The Guardian, buy The Times. Yeah. Do this. So I'd be sitting there, <laughs> be reading, which is great because they're brilliant lads, they're all still mates, you know. Yeah. Everybody else would be sitting there in the Daily Star or something. Yeah, and I'd be yeah, reading yeah, yeah, yeah. The Guardian because I'd get a dig if I didn't. Yeah. And then after about 12 <laughs> months, he said to me, uh, right, you need to go travelling now. I'm making you redundant, and that was it. And I just wow. went travelling and set off, and um, I just had and like when he said travelling, what I mean is I don't think he meant like you know you're going backpacking around you know the Lawaya Valley. I think mm. what he meant was just go and get experience, yeah, yeah, and do it how you want to do it. So I just travelled sometimes and I'd work at home and just just doing countless countless shit jobs. I never really known what I wanted to do yeah but just doing it I mean he probably he told me like to go off and travel he was probably just wanted to make me redundant but um, yeah. <laughs> couldn't afford you so he said to me like go off and travel and I, I got a job um, I travelled all the way to Mount Pleasant in Liverpool which is about three miles away um, <laughs> <laughs> got a job as a jeweller what? A jeweller yeah um, a blank oh right this job as a jeweller but I've, I've been like literally covered in Shit, like, yeah. like 18 months of working on this roof and just constant dust and muck and dust and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I fancied the job where I didn't go home and have to shovel out the bath when I like yeah. the show, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I got a job as a jeweler, um, which was a whole it was a completely different kettle of fish, but it was it, it taught me how to speak to people. Mm. The guy who ran the place was, um. An interesting character, let's say. He'd, he'd grown up in colonial Africa. Right. He's a white guy grown up in colonial Africa as part of the empire, you know. Yeah. These kind of like, you know, uh, I've got the name of the, the film with Greta Scatti. Um, but these kind of like weird, he grew up in, in what was then Rhodesia, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And were quite far back and stuff. But he, let's just call it Paul, he um, Basically, I come in, I was rough and ready in this old, you know, this, like, old-fashioned jewellers in, in Mount Pleasant in Liverpool. was like, it It was sort of, I come in and I was like, I was like the, the last punk rocker in Liverpool, you know, I had, like, spiky hair and all this, right. about 1984 or something like that, so I'd missed the boat by about six years, but still had this thing <laughs> in my head, like, the, I was going to be a punk. So I come in with spiky hair and all this kind of stuff and safety pins in my suits, and, and Paul kind of said to me, like, You've got something, you've got energy, and you were funny in the interview for the job, mm. but I need to refine you. So he taught me, like, how to speak to people who were pushing yeah, on me, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, because yeah. this Jewelers was, I mean, it was the last of its kind in many ways. It was like, it served the community in Liverpool who were, like, very upper, middle class, yeah. lower, upper class kind of people who yeah. were coming and spend a lot of money and, and spend all day literally sit there for like six hours choosing the ring or something. Right, yeah. You know, Champagne and, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And old ladies and fair stalls and stuff right, like that. Right, right. And so he taught me how to deal with them. And then I was there for about, I think I was there for about a year. And I thought, right now's the time I'm going to go. I'm going to... It wasn't a plan, like, it, people think it was a plan. I plan a lot now. 
I think tactically now about like my career and where I'm going and mm. stuff. But then it didn't. Then it was more. I think when you're younger, you're allowed that chaos, aren't you? To just mm. tumble through life. When you, you say know? you're going to go, what do you mean? Travel. travel. Now I'm going. Travel. Now I'm going got to you. travel. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah now yeah. I'm off. Like where and, did you uh, go? What did you do? Well, initially the first thing I did with my mate was we went to the Caribbean. I had a mate who was working in the Cayman Islands. Wow. A, a lad who had gone to school with Andy Whitby. Who'd fallen into this job? I don't even think Andy knows how he did it. He ended up, uh, he was a chef in a, a pub in the Cayman Islands. Really? And the Cayman Islands was not what it is now. It's kind of like it's become like really kind of a big destination for Americans now, but yeah. it wasn't then. And um, Andy was working in this place. So I went over there and we spent a bit of time with Andy. Like a few dodgy jobs over there and nearly got kicked out the country and stuff. <laughs> and, um, and then when I got some money from doing that, we went to the States and we just travelled around the States. We, um, like, we just get on and off, get on buses and stay in places for a while and move on. Yeah. Shitty jobs, move on, move on, move on. You know, just constantly travelling. And then I come home, eventually, again, visa issues, and I come home and um, I was on the dole and Dave, the guy who gave me the job as a roofer, took me back on again and said, right, you can come here for six months, save up enough money and go again. Right. So I just kept doing that. Yeah. And it, it just had countless, countless jobs. And I ended up working on cruise ships, or worked in the Med, worked in the Caribbean. Um, you know, like, and not, by the way, like, like when I say working on cruise ships, I wasn't, like, heroically, like, fighting the waves, you know what I mean? I was selling them <laughs> the pants and perfume, you know what I mean? It wasn't, like, you know, I was not old salt, you know what I mean? When I was being, like, I was literally going, oh, hello, madam, you know, uh, and selling, like, underpants to them. Um, people who lost their luggage and stuff. But that yeah. was great because it, it enabled me to, to live and work with, like, the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. just like sharing a cabin with people you'd never ever ever get to meet. Yeah. Still stay at night, you know. From Aiton, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. brilliant and it was funny and it was great fun. And then I got this thing while I was working there. We used to, there used to be this, um, this is the journey where I got into writing. God knows. I mean, we're not even, I'm not even 21 yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we did this thing where um, there used to be a fashion show on the ship and it was, um, uh, It'd be like on close circuit telly on board the ship. Yeah. These ships, like, probably about 3,000 passengers. Like, it was the first of the mega cruise liners, Royal Caribbean. Yeah. And um, there was a fashion show on a Saturday, and every department had to do a little presentation oh, in, in right. the theatre. Yeah. You know, about a thousand seat theatre. Like, you go and sit, maybe, yeah, about a thousand seat theatre. You go and sit in this theatre, the back of the ship, and they do a fashion show with all the dancers, and we'd pay the dancers to go and put all the clothes on from the cruise shops. Right. And I'd go out and, and read the script. Oh, and try and sell it. And yeah. sell it. You know, so this is Sarah wearing a oh, Versace okay. from. <laughs> right. And all this, not standard to sell it. It stays like, yeah, a, yeah. you know, like Vernon K or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Dope, you know, standing there going, <laughs> oh, no, this is uh, Miguel wearing um, Pascal Picard and you. And, like, and then it was, um, I just thought, oh, I can't read this like, thing. Yeah. So I started writing my own script. Oh, okay. And making it funny. And and then I'd, I'd break out and I'd lose with people and then go yeah. back into it and see if I can make the dancers laugh yeah. and stuff because they'd have this terrible music playing, you know. Yeah. Everyone would have to vogue and all this. Oh, it's just God. ridiculous. Like, but that kind of made me think, oh, hang on a minute, this is better than roofing. Yeah. This is like, I could do, maybe do something different mm. and um, experiment with it. Yeah. But I did it for like a year doing that kind of thing. And then I moved to another place, another shift, another job. Mm. And um, 
I forgot the excitement that that right the buzz of it I forgot it it kind of I had it and then it faded away I right. guess it was like working as a red coat or something yeah. and someone doing that for like a couple of seasons and loving it and thinking wow I'm in showbiz because that was what I was thinking yeah. yeah and then it ended and going oh well that was that yeah but it you know not realising you could you could keep I could make a career out make of it because I yeah. never thought this is the thing about you know you being so successful and me theoretically being so successful is like I want people to think actually you know what I could do that because I exactly never thought right. yeah yeah me too I could do that yeah no you know and it was like Freddie Starr and people like that who grew up by us yeah. and stuff like and it's uh, think of some of the actors who like I mean obviously Bleasdale mm. uh, his nephew Gary Bleasdale you know was doing really well at that yeah. point um, you know so you were seeing people but it was mostly bands where we grew up wasn't yeah, it? yeah 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 so you didn't really feel that, and I couldn't play an instrument or sing a note you know so yeah. that was out so you just think I want people to look at me and go, <clears throat> obviously not, because nobody wants to look at me and go, I could be like that. But what I mean is, <laughs> I want people to look at me and go, oh, actually, you know what, I could go and work yeah, at yeah. BBC, or I could go and work at ITV. Did you ever have, I mean, I, I, I talk about this a lot, imposter syndrome, because I still get I still get it every day, but yeah, yeah. because I'm still a kid from Iton, and, yeah. and part of me is going like, someone's going to tap me on the shoulder any minute and go, yeah. you're just you're not meant to be. No, yeah, mate. totally, totally. You know and, I mean? and you're not meant to be there. No. That's the thing. That's that's the thing. Yeah, is yeah. that like you know people say it's you know it's it's a syndrome. It's not. Mm. It's a thing. Yeah. You're not meant to be there. No. You know, and the fact that you're there is because you've not accepted that you're not meant to be there. Yeah. And it, we have this weird lip service that's paid to um, by well-meaning people mm. who, who think you're meant to be there, but you're not. No. It wasn't made for you and I. This industry was not made for you and I. Yeah, but we forced our way in and we kicked them doors open and we've got in there. Yeah. There's an interesting thing. This is one for the kids. There used to be a comedian called Eric Sykes. Yeah. And Eric Sykes, uh, he's written a, he wrote, he's, he's long dead now, uh, a brilliant biography years ago. When I'm writing, I read biographies. Don't read fiction when I'm writing. Mm. Um, I just read biographies because I don't want to get distracted by somebody else's story Stories, and, yeah. and my inferiority complexes yeah. <laughs> so I, I read loads and loads of like biographies and factual history and all this kind of stuff and um, Eric Sykes wrote this brilliant thing about how the war ended mm. and he went back to Oldham to work in a mill right. and he'd been in he'd performed in concert parties all the way through the war and he mm. went back to, to Oldham and he said I'm working back in a mill at Oldham and he said and after about six months I thought I want to do yeah what I love, which is that <clears throat> acting and writing. That's what I want to do. So we went back to um, London and a series of events it meant that he ended up at the BBC. Mm. And what he said was, was that the, the men, because it was men, who mm. were running the BBC, these upper-class guys, who were you know probably great fellas, they had realised that because of the war, they'd been the officer class who had um, known... Working class people, mm. working class men, sadly, but they'd known working class people and had realized that they weren't them, right? They'd realized they were the same and they were talented and they were yeah. super clever. And it was just like, and so that had kicked in the doors of, okay, of the you, working yeah. class getting into the BBC. Yeah, yeah. But then what happened was, as time went on, um, those doors gradually swung back again, mm. it's like fire doors, you know, they gradually swung back yeah, again, yeah. and people have become distant from the working class again. Mm. Mm. And that's where we're coming in now, I think. Yeah. There's a generation of the working class who, again, who are starting to kick the doors open again. Yeah. Just through sheer... I mean, our, our way of getting in touch with these people is social media, probably, or email. Yeah. 
that's yeah, what yeah, they, yeah. there's one good thing that's come out of that is that it's given people a platform again yeah. and it's allowed those people from a slightly higher class mm. to see that the way oh my god these these people can do good stuff yeah 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 why yeah, don't we, can we go you know but yeah. I, but we're not meant to be there no, it's, it's, right. it's not it's imposters we are imposters yeah 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 and it's just a matter of just you know accepting that you're not gonna I, you know I mean I'm loath to swear on your podcast but you're not gonna fucking get rid of me now yeah yeah I'm yeah. here now yeah, yeah exactly, I'm not yeah. going away yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, yeah. it's like and it's not just me yeah there's a load coming up behind me as well exactly you know? exactly no, it's it's that's a that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, it's but yeah. it's true. It's something that I've realised that like like you, you know. I mean, you go to meetings. I used to go to meetings at, at the BBC, and I can tell you what. This is somebody said this to me and didn't realise he was saying it to me. Right, go on. Um, and somebody who's lovely and being supportive and really really great. But somebody said this to me once um, after a meeting mm. and said we were talking about working class and not working class. And somebody said to me. Um, your class means you don't know how to speak at a meeting <laughs> and didn't realise how insulting yeah. that is yeah. and, and I really bridled at it but I thought I'm not going to kick off because this person doesn't understand how offensive that is what you've just said to yeah. me and whereas but then I felt really self-conscious about that for about a month mm. Like when I was going to meetings, I was like, hello, hello, yeah, my yeah, name's yeah. Tony. Yeah. My name's Anthony. I'm yeah, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like, and I suddenly, but then I, after a, a point, I thought, no, oh, what the fuck are you, you know? Yeah. I don't care how I sound. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. what I say. I think they said to me, like, oh, you swear at meetings. Like, you shouldn't swear at meetings. No. And that's your class. Don't worry about it. It's not your fault. But you shouldn't swear at meetings. And I got to a point where I thought, I don't fucking care. Yeah, no. You know, I'm gonna go into the meeting. I'm gonna be me. Just be you. Yeah. I will not not be me anymore. Yeah. I will be me. And it, it really it took the wind out of myself. And it had someone not been as desperate as me, because mm. you know people say, "Oh, you were really driven." I wasn't. I was desperate. desperate. You know what I mean? Yeah. But had someone <laughs> yeah. not been as desperate as me, I'd not. I probably would have had the wind knocked out of me, not being myself for meetings, trying to be someone else, and not go where I've got. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I was an imposter. Yeah. Whereas now I'm just like, I don't fucking care. I'm too heavy to pick up. So yeah. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> and I'll <laughs> swear. you give me something to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, to do. And I, th- I think I think there's, the, there's like, there's no rules, is there? No. But there's, the... The only rules is, is think be good. Rules. Yeah, be good, yeah. 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 Be as good as you can be. Yeah. And if, and if you're not that good, just get better. Yeah. They're the only rules. That yeah, is yeah, literally, yeah. be introspective, be driven, and be good. And I mean, be a nice person. And be nice, and be yeah, exactly. Be decent. Yeah, I think is yeah, good, yeah, is yeah. Good, at what you do, and decent. Yeah, yeah. Because I will say this for this industry, which is a great thing, is that if you know, I think if you come in and it doesn't matter who you are, mm. if you are, if you act with integrity, I think that reflects well. Exactly. On you. I think if you if you support people, and there's that thing about like. Uh, what is it? Pay it forward, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you've, if you're nice to someone, someone will be nice to you. Don't think it. Like I swear to God, right? If you're waiting in a biscuit factory spotting lemon puffs, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're nice to other people. <laughs> but I mean, be nice to other people. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But if you're working in this industry, act with integrity and be yeah. nice to people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't <clears throat> yeah. matter. It will help you down the line. Definitely, definitely. definitely. So let's segue. A really smooth segue here. Cool. 
the police. Yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> I, know, I, know I know, it's mad, isn't it? Like, how did that come oh. about? I mean, I'm sure you've had you had plenty of other jobs after, yeah, you know, cows. going travelling and yeah, all that sold stuff. wagons, sold trucks, drove, worked at bars, drove forklifts, drove vans, drove... You know, girlfriend's mad throw. You know, I just like the countless, countless of sold under. What happened was, I came home from. I met a girl while I was away. Yeah, and um, I, I went all around the world, mm. all and travelled and met countless people and had countless relationships. And then met a girl who grew up two miles away from where I lived when oh, I was a kid. Of course, because like, that's what you do. Course, and we come yeah. home, we bought a house, and. Um, I needed to pay the mortgage. Yeah. It was that thing. I thought, probably wrongly really, but I thought, like, oh, I've reached a certain age now and I need to settle down. You yeah, know? yeah. But isn't reality, you don't need to settle down, you do what you want. But, um, so, the Echo, the Liverpool Echo used to have, like, a newspaper, you know, an actual, like, paper, paper. Mm. And uh, Thursday night used to be job night and I'm scrolling yeah, yeah. through the Echo and there's, um, there's all these jobs and three of them, there was only three of them that I could, half fancy doing mm. I think one of them I can't I can never remember the third one but I think it was McDonald's were opening in Aintree right and I thought oh, I could maybe manage a McDonald's like because I've worked in pubs yeah you know yeah. and the other one was manage a place called Drainage Centre we've sold underground drainage which nice. is as good a job as it sounds yeah and the third one was join the police right and I applied for all three mm. I got the interview for Drainage Centre and I'm convinced it's McDonald's but it might not be and um, I went and I got the job at Drainage Centre. Right. Turned up, McDonald's didn't want me. And I got the job <laughs> at Drainage Centre. And um, it's McDonald's lost, by the way. It would have been brilliant. But I, yeah. I, got, I, got, the, I got the job at Drainage Centre. And I knew nothing about underground drainage. Every job I've ever had, is I've, I've never known anything about it. And whenever, yeah. about a month later, the person who interviews me goes, I'll just keep it job because you were funny. Yeah. But that was it. No, the interview. Like, it was just, they, they just, you know, you're funny. Like, I, did, yeah. I did a counter, um uh, a place called uh, I won't say the name of the company because people probably got bills up. <laughs> I did a counter this company, um, which was like in these big ledges, yeah, you know, these yeah. big, like huge, big, like paper ledges. And you get like it was like some like Hobson's Choice, or something, right? You know? Right, right, right. There with me, ruling, you know, adding these things up. And about two months into it, the boss comes to me, a fellow called Mike, and he comes to me and he said, um, he said, you know, he said, like every bill you've sent to us has come back. <laughs> and I said, oh no, you know. And he said, yeah. He said, and the mad thing is, he said, at the test we gave you for the interview, you got every question wrong. I said, well, why did you give me the job? I said to him, it's not my fault then. Yeah. It's literally your fault. Why did you give me the job? He said, well, I thought, there's four of us going to be stuck in this office for days and days and days constantly. <laughs> and I thought, it'll be a bit of sunshine. <laughs> so I apologize for anyone who got battered for a bill for getting your washing machine first. But, um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, I'm working at a training centre, and I, you know, I was not fulfilled. Let's say a training centre, mm. brilliant lads, fantastic, you know, uh, crack with these lads and all that was brilliant. But like, my heart was not in underground drainage, <laughs> and um, but I was paying a mortgage, mm. and Merseyside Police rang me up and said, "Do you want to come and take an exam?" Yeah, and I scraped. Honestly, God, Phil, I properly scraped the exam. Right, and I had. I got a grade A in my metalwork whole level and a grade one in my geography CSE, mm. which classed as an O level. So if you're ever worried about the quality of policing in the 80s and 90s, <laughs> just look at who they were taking on, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I was still, I was relatively fit then, so I passed the fitness and then I managed to black my way through all the interviews that, that come on and then I ended up being a busy. Yeah. And it was never, my family and not, 
you know, if you Google, Google the name Schumacher, like it, it, it's a checkered history, my family, let's say. Mm. And um, so I was very much an outlier in that I was too in the business. It was like it was not, nobody was expecting it, least of all me. I remember the first day, sitting in a classroom at the police training centre, mm. and it was like the first day, you know, like the fire exit out there, you know, and toilets is out in the corridor. And we're all sitting in this, like, there's about 30 people in this room, and we're all sitting in plastic chairs around the walls on mm. three sides. And the trainer comes in, and he's like, hi, guys, you know, like, great, great, you know, fantastic and all this. My name is, and he's writing his name in big letters on the, on the yeah. whiteboard, you know. And, um, he said, let's go around the room and, like, talk about each other and, uh, you know, and we'll see who we are, you know. So he goes to the first person, the first person's like, oh, I am done. Um, you know, I'm 25 and I'm joining the police because my dad was a Bobby. And then the next time, I'm Gary and, and I joined the police because when I was a little kid, I saw people on motorbikes and police. And I thought, oh, I want to do that yeah. from when I was a little kid, you know, and I'm so-and-so. And everyone, like, had a connection to the job and always wanted to be it since mm. the kid. And I swear to God, when I got to about number eight, number nine, I was sitting there thinking, shit, like, I... I I don't know what to say because mm. I'd never wanted to be a busy. And at that point, I wasn't really sure. But the only thing I did know was that I didn't want to sell underground drink. Yeah. <laughs> and when it got to me, I was about number 13, 14. Like, and it got to me and I just said that. And everyone fell about laughing. I thought it was joking, but I wasn't. It was true. <laughs> I did not want to be a busy. But the mad thing was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Once I got into it and overcame my prejudices, I really enjoyed it. And it was exciting and it was, I worked on response and, which was like full on adrenaline, you know. So yeah, I loved yeah. it. So, that I, but if you would have said to me literally six months before I was a copper, do you want to be a copper? I would say no. Mm. It's just, it's just it happened. Yeah, yeah. And all that, all that time that you're like away and you're writing, are you still writing stuff? No, no, no. Didn't write a thing. No, didn't write a thing. Did you have the burning desire though? All the no, time? no. Read a lot. Didn't, yeah. did not like. You know, it was not even. I think. I think there was one time. Looking back on it, I think there was one time when I was travelling, and I thought to myself, maybe I should do a diary. Yeah. Like, and maybe if I wrote a diary, I could maybe turn it into something. But there was never. I didn't do it. Mm. And you know, I mean, what was I going to do with it anyway? Because you couldn't self-publish it, and it was going to buy a yeah. book off me. You know, yeah. that was my thinking. Mm. So it may be somebody mud about the book of me. Maybe that was my prejudice is thinking no one's going to want to read like about this dickhead like traveling around Canada. Yeah. So like it was, but to me it was, um, it just never occurred to me. I just didn't want to write. Yeah. I just had no, nothing in me. And I can tell you the first piece of fiction I ever wrote. Go on. The first bit of fiction I ever wrote was, I was, I'd been in the police for about seven years mm. and it, we were on nights and uh, a mate of mine, Alan, Irvin had uh, locked up and it was a good job mm. and he'd, he'd locked up a burglar I think and it'd been a big mad foot chase and, and everything and um, Alan we were sitting in the constable because in the constable's writing room it's called and I had uh, turned up at the very very end of this foot chase but I had to give him a statement over what yeah. I'd seen so I was sitting writing this thing on this old Windows 95 or something like yeah, that yeah, writing yeah, this, yeah. this statement and Alan's writing his next to me and he's just, he's wrapped up in his own work. And the sergeant come in and he went, Al, have you got a minute? You know, the prisoner's going to see the doctor or something. I'll go, yeah, all right. And he gets up and he walks away. And just, I don't know why I did it. I just slid across and started writing Alan's statement for him for a laugh. <laughs> just like a funny statement that I knew he correct. Yeah. But I ended up writing about five pages of this nearly funny statement and printing it off. 
and giving it. I've finished your statement there. And Alan read it and he was killing himself laughing. And all the lads put it up on the board. Yeah. And I just put this thing about like how he ran around the corner and there was a load of dragons there. So he killed the dragons with a sword. <laughs> and then, like, lo and behold, all these aliens come down. And I just sit in this thing, just this place. It's just funny, just standing before yeah, yeah. all the lads put it in the and the board. And everyone read it. It was really funny and all this. And, and then it just went. Mm. And I didn't write nothing again. Yeah. It, just, it was just a thing. And I just really enjoyed this. Like, I get. I never spoke to other writers about it, but I assume it's the same with you when you're acting or the same with you when you're directing. Mm. So that occasionally you get a rush, don't you? Yeah. It's like a yeah, proper yeah, yeah. adrenaline rush. <clears throat> and um, So I get that when I'm writing. Mm. And I know I got it when I was writing there because you yeah, felt yeah. the it wasn't, you felt like you were on a toboggan or something mm. and it wasn't you. It was just you're in, you're in it, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah, you yeah. can even think it, you're doing it. Banging yeah. it out, you know. Yeah. Although I was time slower than them days. Yeah. And, um, so I felt that like uh, at that point, but then I just really enjoyed writing the thing, and it was funny. Yeah, but didn't do it again. So how long were you in the police for? Uh, I think it was about thirteen years. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it's about thirteen years. And and, and then you left. What what happened? After, what happened? Oh after? God! Uh, well, <coughs> what happened was I just stayed on response and I shouldn't as well. Right. And I was burning out basically, mm. and my manager was going down a pound, which is obviously my fault. Like, and, and it was, um, I was drinking. I was. Um, not sleeping. Um, I used to get in the car and uh, leave work at like seven in the morning. Mm. Walk home, get in my car. I just burst into the sea. Yeah. Drive home, get out the car, go in on my cornflakes and go to bed. And yeah. think it was normal. Yeah. And I, I didn't know what was going on in my head because nobody talked about PTSD then, and nobody talked about mm. having a breakdown or something like that. You just, you just cracked on with it. You just yeah. bottled it up, you know. And I, I'm reading a really brilliant book by a guy called George MacDonald Fraser who. Um, wrote the Flashman series and I was again one for the kids but this mm. guy he served in the Birmingham Award during World War Two, and he talks about um, he's a, you know a brilliant author who was like us in many ways you know he's just a working class lad who mm. ended up going on to do great things yeah. but he talked about sitting in a trench being attacked by the Japanese army and um, looking round and gauging how scared he should be by the lads around him I read it right. the other day I was sitting reading it and he was terrified but he looked at the lads around him and thought oh, I better bottle this up because nobody else looks terrified yeah. so he bottled it all and up and everyone's probably doing the same exactly and it, that was me yeah, I was looking yeah, around yeah, and going yeah. like these all look alright so yeah. I must be so I'll just say nothing and it'll pass but it didn't mm. and needless to say it was getting worse and worse and worse um, and I crashed out the job my marriage mm. broke up I crashed out the job um, I had no money because mm. I wasn't working mm. sleeping in my car Um with the dog at Crosby Beach. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, dodging doggers all night, like he would mm. come on banging on my window. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just uh, sobbing my heart out, gradually going downhill. Yeah. And uh, a mate of mine found me, basically. Mm. He was worried about me, and a mate of mine said he found me um, and rented me a house and said, basically, you can live here mm. until you figure out what you're going to do next. And wow. the only thing I could think to do was that didn't require... Because I had no qualifications. No. Barren, like any metalwork and geography. And, yeah. You know, he wants a blacksmith who can't find out where he's going. <laughs> so it's like, um, <laughs> what am I going to do? You've seen me. It took me three hours to find yeah, this place. Yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah. So like, I thought, to me, what am I going to do? Um, and I, I kept thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And I didn't want to go and work in a factory because my dad's words were still ringing down the years. I didn't know 
Um, I didn't have any qualifications to go and work in an office. Didn't I? Mm. You know what I mean? It's completely like anyone's ex busy. He was cracked up, you know. Mm. So I and I had this gap on my CV that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the only thing I could think to do was drive a taxi. Right. So I started <clears throat> uh, driving a taxi because I thought it'd give me flexibility when I'm feeling bad, when I'm down, mm. um, I'm living alone with the dog and I'm, you know, my life is shit and I'm going to get depressed so I was conscious that that was going to happen to me. Mm. So I started driving a taxi because I thought I'll have no one to answer to and when I can't speak to people, I don't have to speak to people. Yeah. And it, it weirdly, it, I found that exciting to drive the cab mm. because it was meeting people yeah. and I was seeing a world, like I thought, I thought I was, um, I thought I knew Liverpool. Yeah. I'd been a busy, you know, and I thought like I'd been in places and seen things and dealt with things that meant that Liverpool, I'd read Liverpool from page one to page 300 and knew yeah, the booth. Yeah, yeah. And then when I turned over, I didn't realise that on every page I'd read, there was another side to the page. Right, and when you. I started driving a cab, I was suddenly the first night, you know, I was like, I don't know anything about this city. This is mad. Yeah. It's exciting and it's amazing. So I, I suddenly found myself in this kind of weird world of, like I'd gone through the looking glass and I loved it mm. and I really engaged with it and not engaged with it as in criminality but just engaged with it as in like absorbing it and really enjoying it yeah yeah and then yeah. one night about three years into it I got a job at Lime Street Station and a, a lady got in a cab called Angie Sammons and um, it was quite late and I mm. said oh where have you been she said oh I've been to Manchester <coughs> to an awards show and I said oh what was the awards and she said oh it's it's this awards thing for uh, media and writing magazines and I, I don't know why, I just said I'm a writer. Yeah. And I've never looked back from that moment. Really? Honestly. I'd never, I had nothing. I'd written nothing. I swear to God, right, I had written nothing. Apart I didn't even have a in the police war. Yeah. I'd written nothing. Wow. Apart that, since yeah. I was 16. And I just said to her, I'm a writer. And she said, oh, what do you write? Because she was an editor for a magazine. Yeah. She said, what do you write? You said magazines. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said stuff that happens in the cab. Right. Stories, things that happen in the back of the cab. Yeah. She said, Oh my god, that sounds amazing. I'd love to read someone. Like, Can you send me in the morning? And I was like, I haven't got anything. Oh, and so shit. I went home that night. <laughs> I, I went home and about three in the morning, sorry, I was sitting in Southern Park and I they come to me and that was the first thing I wrote and never looked back. That was the moment. So you wrote you wrote something overnight? I wrote I, I, what I did was I went it's quite a long story, but I, I I was sitting in the cab at three in the morning, eating a sandwich, and I knew that this was something. Mm -hmm. I knew that mm. this was an opportunity yeah, yeah. that I couldn't let go, yeah. that I had to give something to this woman. Mm. And if it was rubbish, fair, fair enough. It, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. ship had sailed. Yeah. But I knew that it might not be. Mm. And I, I sat in the cab just racking my brains, what can I write about? And I was trying to make up all these stories, make up all these stories about what might happen and what might not happen. And... and uh, I'll, I'll tell you very briefly there was a cat mm. I was eating a tuna sandwich and it was about half past three four o'clock in the morning and the sun was just coming up over Sefton Park in the mm. spring mm. and there was a um, a layer of fog in the park no, you know, yeah, like about yeah, three yeah. foot off the floor yeah I can see it yeah. yeah you know it was, what, I'm trying to think of a film uh, anyway there was a layer of fog in it, in the park. it was just beautiful you know you just see the grass mm. then it's like little strip of fog and the sky is just starting to light up around me and um there's a cat sitting by a tree about maybe 20 foot away from me. Mm. And uh, I'm eating this butty and the cat's thinking, 
I might be on for some of this tune. Yeah. You know? And I noticed the can, I'm thinking, I'll give him a tune when I finish. <clears throat> what can I write about here? What can I write about? Oh, maybe nah, that's up to the week. Or no, no, that's no good. I can do. And as I'm thinking, a bird dropped out the tree and hit the cat. What? A bird, a black bird, dropped out the tree yeah. and hit the cat on the head and battered the cat for about five seconds <laughs> and then took back up again. Yeah. Into the tree. And I was like, what's that? And the cat's like, what was that? You know, this moment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what the fuck? And uh, like, and then the cat settles again and kind of looks around a bit and then settles back down again. And I go back to meet myself. And say, what, you know, so what can I write about? What can I write? <laughs> and then this cat, like the bird, bang again. Yeah. The bird is the cat and probably is at the cat for about 30 seconds, just banging away at the cat's head. You know, claws and beak, and yeah, all you can see yeah. is it's like a cartoon. You know, like yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In a beano, you know, with like like just a cloud of dust, like with like <laughs> yeah. punches going in and all this. And then the cat flies up. The tree, the bird flies back up the tree, and the cat just goes, "I've had enough of this," and just walks away. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, that's amazing." It's like carries on at me butty, and then it comes to me. I was going to write about a job that has happened in the police that was in relation to that, which very very briefly was a job Newtley Willows. About half past three in the morning, row of miners cottages, uh, and he paused to scream and come from one of the cottages. I was on my own working in Newton because I was working on my own. Turns up at this job, uh, bangs on the front door, and this little old fella opens the front door, and this cottage is like, it's all, you know, battered Chesterfield sofa, Jack Russell, horse brasses. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I walks in, and uh, the old fella opens the door, and it, the door opens right into the living room. And he's standing there in a pair of suit trousers and a vest. And behind him is this tiny little old lady sitting on the end of the sofa, taking up about a tenth of the sofa. Mm. And uh, she's dabbing in her nose with a tissue. And I went, oh, shit. Like, and I looked at the fella and he just looked at the floor and I went, like, well, you're locked up. Yeah. And I said to her, I'll be back and I'll take <clears> a statement off you. So takes him, puts him in the cell and stays in goes back to the house to the old lady and says, like, tell me what's happened. Mm. And she said, it's all my fault. And I said, well, it's not your fault. I said, listen, I've been doing this job for like 10, 11 years now. Yeah, it's yeah. not your fault. And I talked her through a condition to believe it's your fault. You've been with this guy for decades and he's abused it and he's used you and he's, you know, mm. it wasn't a phrase then, but he's gaslit. He said, a point that yeah. you think that it's your fault that he's hit you. It's <clears> not your fault. So come on, tell me what's happened tonight and, mm. and then we'll get you some help. And she goes, no, it's all my fault. And I went, no, all right, it's not your fault, right? But we'll go right back to the beginning and I'll tell you this story again. So we'll go all the way back to the beginning. It's not your fault. It's all my fault. I said, all right, okay, third time, we'll do it again. I'll be here all night. Needs We'll go all the way back and I'll do the whole thing. And then on, on the fourth time, she says, when you listen to me, it is all my fault. I've been battering them for 65 years and tonight's the first night he's saying that and hit me back. Oh, my God. And that was the bird hitting the cat. It was the opposite of yeah, what I yeah, thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I went away and wrote that. Wow. And Angie read it at like nine o'clock in the morning. I literally went home, fired up this old banging, rasping, wheezing computer. I had. Mm. I wrote this thing with two fingers and sent it to Angie. And then at nine o'clock, I probably finished it about quarter to nine. She read it on the train going to the office and rang me and said, I love it. Yeah, send me the rest of your stuff. For <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no, what I'm <clears throat> so I come clean and said, like, I've got that. I've yeah. got that. I've just written that for the first thing, and and Angie was brilliant. She said, well, okay, we're gonna buy that, and we're gonna sit down, and me and you gonna have a coffee, and we're gonna figure out this path forward for you, and wow. that path forward has led to me sitting here in Manchester again. That's unbelievable, I mate. Know. I know. 
So, so, so what, what what happened? So did anything happen with that? Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, they published it. Um, they, I ended up writing those columns for about uh, I don't know, maybe eighteen months, two yeah. years. I'd write a column every other week, and wow. they buy it off me. And I, like, and I wasn't earning much money as a cab driver, but like. That was purely down to me being lazy, but also because I was like just constantly looking for that next story. Then, yeah, so I'd be driving around with an old pad in my boot, you know, and I was yeah. writing these columns called Review Mirror, and um, they were these magazines were publishing them, and I'd go away and write them and publish them. And while I was doing it, I was learning. Andy was brilliant because Andy was kind of teaching me about brevity and teaching me about beginning, middle, and the end, and all right, the stuff that I right, never, right. I didn't know, you know. Yeah, but I kind of had an instinct for. So she was teaching me, but obviously. You know, I I must have had an instinct for it because I, I knew how to tell a story in a pub. So yeah. you know, which is basically all this is. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just the ability to tell a story to someone sitting next to you on a bus. That is all this is, and people will dress it up. And the mechanics of going to a three year degree, and if you're doing a degree, fantastic theory because mm-hmm. you'd probably be better for it. But essentially, it just boils down to if you can tell someone where you've been that morning yeah. and what happened, mm. you can do this job. And I don't give a shit when anyone says, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. Fact. yeah, but. Um, I was I was doing this and just getting you know better and refining and working and and seeing how to spot stuff and then I, I think I wrote a thing for the Guardian. The Guardian kind of got a little bit interested in what I was doing. It was kind of just building and building and building. And I was conscious that I had no qualifications whatsoever, so yeah. I was always thinking to myself, I I was clinging to it like a rope, you know. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. I, I need I've got to climb up this because I've got nothing else, and um. I had an idea about a book mm. a couple of years in. I had an idea to write a book. Um, that didn't, it started off as a short story, then it was going to be a blog because I'd not written any fiction. Right. Everything was kind of grounded in these stories in the cab. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'm going to um, I'll write a book. Mm. Can I write? Maybe I can. Maybe I'll write a yeah. short story. Maybe I'll write a novella. Maybe I'll write. And it got to a point about halfway through the book, and I thought, this is him. This might possibly be all right mm, mm. and um i was driving a cab and it was getting harder and harder to make a living because the financial crisis and everything else that happened. so uh my brother-in-law got me a job working at the council tip and it was yeah. seven days on and seven days off right. so it was like seven 12 hour days on but then all week off yeah, and i took yeah. the job because i thought <clears throat> i can write for seven days yeah and the lads at the tip were all amazing. Mm. And they were really supportive. They were like, they knew that if I was going to write a brush, mm. it was because I was thinking about what I was writing. And it, it's the one thing I'd say to people is you've got to obsess about it. Yeah, You've got to get totally obsessed with it. Yeah. You can't. So everything in my mind, just day after day after day, I was just thinking about it. And then I get to the Thursday because I work like Thursday to Thursday. And I'd have the Thursday, the Friday morning, mm. nine o'clock, after just doing ninety hour week, I would sit there and I would just write. Yeah. And I would just do a week's writing and then I'd go back to the trip and wait for a week. Yeah. And um in the meantime I was writing little columns and little things for magazines and stuff. Mm. And um I wrote a thing about mental health for um, a police magazine. Oh yeah. You know, not through any kind of altruism, like I want to change the world and all this. I was like, it was, I want to quit, like, yeah. you know. So yeah, I wrote yeah, this yeah. thing for mental health, sent it to this police magazine. They bought it. And a, a copper from Manchester got in touch with me and said, hey, that really touched me mm. um, because I'm in a similar situation and you've made me think about where I am. Um, have you got anything else? Mm. 
So I said, yeah, I've written all these columns. Thanks, mate, but yeah, got to do all because yeah, I'm yeah, busy yeah. like me booth. Mm. And he said, Oh, I'm a writer too. And it was this thing like, you know, like, you probably get all this. Stuff. Somebody says, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. Or yeah. I'm an actor. You're like, Oh, for God's sake. That's bad to do. Like, and I'm working every hour, but yeah, go and tell me your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought it was going to be that, but he said, um, Colin said to me, um, I, I've won a couple of competitions, and one of the competitions was access to an agent. And he said, ah. um, And I've never managed to get anything. I've, I've built a relationship with this agent, but I've never managed to get anything finished, mm. which is a massive part of it, I think. It's a huge part of it. We can all start something but yeah, finish yeah, it. Yeah. You know, even if it's crap, stick with it and finish yeah. it. And um, he said to me, um, have you got anything? Because I know this agent really well now. Do you want to send it to me and I'll forward it to the agent? Mm. So, I honestly, about a week earlier, I'd finished writing the book. And I said, it's the first draft of a book, it's about 95,000 words. I don't know if it's any good, mm. and I probably should look at it again, but I finished it, and I was like a kid, I knew that, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I said, I've got this book, and he said, all right, well, give it to me, and I'll give it to the agent. Like a dope, give it to him. I didn't realise that he could have just robbed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave <laughs> it to him. Exactly. And um, <laughs> he probably thought it was crap as well, but anyway, about, uh, I don't know, maybe... Three weeks later, Abba Collins had bought the book and, ah. and I'd become a, a writer. Wow. I packed in working at the tip, um, which broke me out because I loved it. Yeah. I love working there. I love the lads. I love the people who come in. It was brilliant. Packed it. I always say, like, if this goes wrong, I'll go back to the tip. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. But um, I packed in and Abba Collins had bought the book and I was off. I'd never looked back. I've, I've been a writer since then. Wow. I know. So you've got how many books have you written? Three novels Three, in a series. Right, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Abba Collins wanted a fourth. And I didn't want to write a Ford. Mm. Not through any kind of uh, snobbery about writing series and all that, you know. Mm. I mean, just look how rich Lee Child is. But yeah. it was like, I just wanted to I wanted to have a go at something else. Yeah. And my wife, Anna, said to me, um, why don't you have a go at writing for TV? Yeah. So I wrote a script, um, which was based loosely on a guy I'd met in the cab. Yeah. Um, he was a nihilist. He was a, a drug dealer. He was just a nihilist, and we'd spent like two hours in the cab while he was driving around dealing drugs. Right. And he just said to me, "There's fifty quid. Just take me to all these addresses." And he didn't say I'm going to deal drugs, but it was yeah. quite apparent that that was what he was doing. And after about half an hour, now I said to him, "Mate, you know what? Like, I want to complain about his tracky stunk of weed. I'm stinking out my cab. We don't know the window." And he said to me, "Me ma's always going on and me like about me tracky stinking of weed and all this, you know." And we were laughing about it. And then we carried on driving around and we just got talking about his job. Yeah. And he was just a nihilist. He just didn't care. Yeah. And it, he said to me, uh, again, apologies for swearing, but he, he said to me, um, I said, well, what if you get locked up? And he said, the thing is, lad, he said, I don't give a fuck if I get locked up. Yeah. He said, I don't give a fuck if your cab stinks of weed. He said, I don't give a fuck if some woman won't sit next to me on the bus. He said, I don't give a fuck. If I go to prison, I don't give a fuck. Mm. It's just the next thing that happens to me. And we carried on driving. Yeah. And when he got out, I wrote it in my notepad, my notepad. And I couldn't think of a way to use it for one of my columns. And it just sat there, but it resonated mm. with me for years. Yeah, yeah, His yeah. nihilism. And that was the script that I wrote. <clears throat> and it got optioned. And then I kind of become a script writer. Yeah. So then, because I know, I know that you... That you were mentored a bit by Jimmy McGovern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was, that, script, that, that was the script that got me in with Jimmy. Right. I gave it to uh, a brilliant company in Liverpool called LA Productions. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Colin McEwen's Yeah, company, Colin, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Colin's yeah. my life, but he's brilliant, you know. Yeah. And Colin um, optioned the script with a view, because Colin 
loves working with new writers and, mm. and, he, he's and new, new directors actually new, yeah, yeah new everything new yeah, actors yeah. new directors yeah. and he, he's a brilliant talent spotter and it pays his mortgage but it, it's also for his big house in Walton but yeah. it, it's um, <laughs> but also uh, it's a brilliant platform he's fantastic he's, you know, he's got more BAFTA than BAFTA you know yeah yeah and um, he uh, I said something the other week, you've got more BAFTAs than I've got BIFTAs. It, it was like, it's just, <laughs> you go in his office, you know, and like, yeah. when he dies, if they weigh in, just in sheer amounts of brass that's in there, you know what I mean? He's going to be, like, whoever, he's going to make a fortune. Yeah. But uh, Colin, um, uh, optioned the script, and it was lying on a desk in the office, and Jimmy had gone in, because Jimmy does a lot of work with them, because yeah. Jimmy loves working with new writers, and picked up the script, and just said, I'll read this on the way home, because he doesn't thrive. And Jimmy read the script, um, and then rang me and said, um, "And they, you know, like, because I always write your name and your number on your script." Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Jimmy um, rang me and said, um, "I've been asked to mentor a writer," and he said, "And I've just read your script, and I'm thinking it won't be a ton of work for me because I'm up the wall, but it might help you." Well, fucking right, yeah, yeah. You know, do you want to go for a pint? Wow. And even if Jimmy had said to me, like, if Jimmy McGovern rang me up and said, "Do you want to come for a pint? I'm going to punch you for three hours." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there might be a bit of conversation yeah, in between. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I would have gone, "Yeah, yeah, I'll go to that." Yeah. yeah, it's worth getting punched in the face to have a pint with Jimmy. Yeah, so I went yeah. and had a pint with Jimmy, and we talked and we talked, and I told my story and everything else. And um, he said to me, "Come back next week, and um, we'll come to the house." Hmm. And he said, "And we'll." Um, bring three ideas that maybe we can work on as a script together. Yeah. I said, okay. So I went and I had this idea for a thriller and I had an idea for a, a love story and a romantic thing and all this. And I took these three ideas and I put them on his kitchen, the unit, his, his peninsula. And he's, Jimmy's making soup. Mm. Like, it's terrible soup. Like, they <laughs> always seem to make when I was there. And he said, um, like, honestly, it's like dirty water. And he, he said to me, <laughs> um, he said, brilliant. He said, that's your second show. That's your third show. That's your fourth show. Your first show is you. I uh, never ever thought that I might be interested. Wow! But it was that's Jimmy's serious. Is that he said like that's that's. So had you told them this? You over the pint. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. just sat oh, like this, just talking right, over the right, pint. Right, right, right. And Jimmy just took it all in and not said anything. And then like he said, so I want you to go away and put together. Mm. What you think of being an hour's worth of television mm. that will be you, and that became the first episode that we spawned there. Unbelievable. And so, how how did that then get sent to Dancing Ledge? Yeah, Dan, well, who... Dancing Ledge were running <clears throat> the scheme. Dancing Ledge again, who were based in Notting Hill or Labry Grove, and he just bought a big office on the back of his money. Um, Dancing Ledge are, um, are uh, brilliant for working with new people. Yeah. And the ledge said they were running the scheme that Jimmy was working with them on. Oh, okay. Uh, because obviously Jimmy's a big name. And I think Sally Wainwright was on there. Uh, Jeff Mercurio was on. We were mentoring people. You Got know? Yeah. And so Jimmy was like, uh, when I had the script finished, Jimmy said to me, right, well, have a meeting with Dancer Ledge mm. and talk to them about what happens next. Yeah. And it was a first draft because Jimmy obviously was up the wall. And I was, like, I literally just wrote the thing and gave it to Jimmy, and Jimmy said, that's it, go, ahead, go and give that to Dancing Ledge. Yeah. You give me points as you know, but go and give that to Dancing Ledge. Because people, 
I always think about mentoring. I'm mentoring a few races now at the moment mm. in my because I don't know what I'm doing, but I it, like as best as I can. But yeah. the thing is, is like what well, I think Jimmy's uh, genius is is that he knows when to say you do it because mm. I'm my problem is that I get too controlling, you know, and start yeah, doing yeah. line edits and stuff. Whereas Jimmy's like that needs line edit, and you go and do it. Whereas yeah, I'm yeah. like take that without and put who. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, that, that's yeah. not. The, I don't think that's the right way. But that's me being a control freak. But, but Jimmy uh, said, um, right, okay, well the script's done. Go and speak to mm. Dancing Ledge, and we've had instances Dancing Ledge, and like, you know, I was joking kind of thing. And I met Lawrence, and Lawrence is an amazing guy and really into new writers. And Lawrence said, I love the script. It was great, you know. I really enjoyed the script. What do you want? to do with it and this is where thinking mm. tactically comes in yeah 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 yeah. because I'd <clears throat> before I'd had the meeting with Dancing Ledge I'd, I'd looked I'd spent hours on IMDB everyone who worked there and knew everything that everyone had done I in do that, that in the I office. always exactly. do you've that you've got to you've got, I mean, to, you know, you've got to you can't just blunder in there we're, we no. didn't go to university with them so we, we have exactly. to we have to go in there and say I know all about you and I'm yeah. going to I'm going to use my knowledge to make you do what I want you to do. Yeah, and that's yeah, what it boils yeah. down to. Yeah. In, in as nice a way as possible, mm. you know. I, I'm going to use it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's so... I knew that Dancing Ledger had done stuff with Martin. Yeah. I knew that Freeman had a, a first look deal with them, which meant that a first look deal is like where um, somebody's... Uh, if a script comes in, whatever, and they think... They, they will always offer it to Martin To first. Martin first, yeah. Um, Didn't know that. Okay, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so Martin had, um, had this first look deal with them. Mm. And I went in to, to speak to Dancing Ledge and I'd done a pass on my own mm. to tailor the script from what I thought the voice of Martin. Because I always thought there was a darkness in Martin. Yeah, I just yeah, felt yeah, there was yeah. a darkness in him. And there is. There's no getting away from it. No, no yeah, there is. Yeah. Ever, ever say it, but there is. Um... And so I knew that if I could tailor the script in such a way as to be more of a, mm. a one-man show about a copper with yeah. a darkness inside. And was it, it was it set in Liverpool? Yeah. And was that character Scouser as well? No, no, it, it wasn't necessarily a Scouser to me. It was never meant to be a Scouser. Right. It was never, I never, I don't want to, this is going to sound like really ridiculous now, but like, who am I? But I never really set out to be a Northern or a Liverpool writer. Yeah. As much as I love Bleasdale and as much as I love Jimmy and by the way I'm not even in their pantheon you know I didn't want to be someone who just I, wrote I would say you are nah, I'm not like but I mean but I would never like I never wanted to be like like someone who just oh yeah we've got something about Liverpool here give Jimmy a ring got you you know yeah, what I mean yeah, I want yeah, to write yeah. something set in Nepal you know yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like you've I'm, said that to me before yeah actually, exactly yeah, I want yeah. to paint with a bigger palette and yeah. I, I love Liverpool I still live in Liverpool yeah. it's I'm, I'm probably Always going to live in Liverpool, yeah, you know, unless yeah. I buy Jimmy Tarbuck's house when he's on. But <laughs> it's like I'm probably always going to stay there. So, like, but it's, I just want to play with a bigger palette in Liverpool, yeah. you know. But, um, so, but it was set in Liverpool because right. Jimmy had said, that's, you know, Scallies, you know, Scally, yeah, you, you know, yeah. right Scallies, you know. Yeah. So, um, the, I mean, so much so that the scene in episode one with Marco. And Chris in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was literally it was me talking to me. Wow. I was the scally in the back and I was the cop. And you the were front. the cop in the front. And I wrote that as an exercise. That was the first scene that I wrote. I wrote it as an exercise to get the voices right. Yeah. In my head. So I wrote that scene as me talking to me in the back. And that was the whole idea. Wow. I was looking at myself in the review mirror. But um so anyway, I went in to see my uh, Lawrence and Lawrence said, um, what do you want to do with the script? And I said, well, isn't it obvious? 
because this mm. is again it's this thing about taking control of yourself is mm. or your own destiny is isn't that obvious let's give it to Martin and let's all go and win some BAFTAs joking wow like give it to Martin was not joking but the, the let's go win some BAFTAs yeah. thing was like a bit of a joke yeah and Lawrence says it never occurred to him to give it to Martin and he said oh yeah okay we'll give it to Martin give it to Martin a week later Martin signed on wow a month later the BBC commissioned the show and Shiri's off again. Did you shit yourself? Absolutely bricked it. Yeah. Because it feels like it's just going up a million miles an hour. Well, the first episode didn't know how I'd written it. Yeah. And didn't know... You know, I had to watch YouTube videos to know to format a script. Yeah. I remember ringing... Because um, the, the script, the initial, the first draft that I sent to LA Productions of a thing called The Estate, which is the thing about the nihilist scally yeah. and thingy, the day option, I wrote it in Word. Oh, really? I didn't know it was a format of script. No, of course. And it was Sarah Dean, brilliant writer in her own right, mm. and fantastic script editor, sent, sent me back and went, like, I've read the first two pages, it's great, but I'm, I, I literally haven't got time to read this shit yeah. in this format. In this format. So you need to learn how to format a script. So that week, I, that day, I watched mm. YouTube and saw, and Amazon, for all their ills, Amazon used to have a brilliant free... Um, script writing software called Storyteller, I think it was. Oh, called. yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and so what I did was I just cut and pasted it into Storyteller, action, right. speech, action, speech. I still don't know what the transition is, but action, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. action, dialogue, action, dialogue, action, dialogue, cut to, and all of that. And yeah. then um, I sent it back to her the next morning, and she read it. She read it. And that was it, yeah. My so God. it didn't change anything, I just cut and pasted it all in. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Now we sit here and yeah. talking about let's go and win some BAFTAs. I know we're not going to win, but I'm all right with well, that. Well, well, you, 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 you know, you're nominated. Yeah, no, nominated. I feel like I feel like I finished top four. How many BAFTAs nominated for? Six. I know. <laughs> I know it's mad. Isn't it? Did it, you ever think even when we were making it? No, no, not a clue, not a clue. And I don't think you did either, did you? Well, I, I knew you it was know. special. I knew it was. I knew it was good. I knew it was yeah. like. I knew it was good. Yeah, I think I knew it was good. But I didn't think we were ever going to... But when it came out, I mean, the response was unbelievable. It was incredible, yeah. It was the weirdest thing, because I was in uh, London, and um, I felt... It's a weird thing about protecting yourself from mental health, mm. because I went to... Uh, the, the press had been incessant, because of Martin. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The press had been <clears throat> phenomenal, you know. And it, it, I think a similar thing, funny enough, uh, to what happened with you and Boiling Point was the... They were interested in you because it was your story. Yeah, yeah. And it was it's a, and it was the same with me. Mm. It's your story. Yeah. So I was suddenly in this uh, maelstrom of interviews. And, and Martin is fantastic in that. He, he held me hand a lot of the way, you yeah. know. It, like, because he's done this. Done it loads, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. Like, it was like, he was like, oh, you know, do you want to possibly hold back on that stuff? Maybe give a bit more of that stuff. And um, but I was just going as interviews going, yeah, it's nice to get me some twice, you know. And just like throwing it all out there, <laughs> yeah. just didn't care, you know. No, like no. you know, like the dogs leading, you know, and all this thing. I probably dogs leading the thing, you know. Yeah, I was like, and it, like, and just like putting it all, like literally, yeah. just honestly, God, I just opened it all up, and just threw my entrails on the table, and went, go ahead, fill your boots. Yeah, and then it come out, and. Right. I was reading, people were sending me all these links to her. Oh, look, she was in the Daily Mirror or whatever. She was in the Guardian, you know. Yeah. She had this thing with you on the thing. And then, like, that morning, I'd been on breakfast telly in Manchester and then gone to um, London. And I wasn't even sure I was going to watch it and everything. And then I sat down, we're on there and we watched it. And um, 
I'm in this hotel room overlooking Hyde Park, and it's like mad, you know. Mm. And then we're getting phone calls and texts off the BBC, people who are working at the BBC, mm. brilliant. And, oh, it went great. And all this. Then we crashed the Hyde player. Then the next night, and the next morning, I walked out the hotel and felt like everyone knew me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Did, nobody knew who I was, nobody cared, you yeah. know. But like, it was like this weird thing as I walked out the hotel, and I felt like I was just had no skin on me. Mm. I felt like I was completely exposed. Right. And it was then I went to work that afternoon in Notting Hill, working on outlines for season two and other stuff. Mm. And then I went back to the hotel, and we were on the second night, and it was bigger. Yeah. It got bigger because it, it, the snowball had started. And it, it was somebody from the BBC, I think it was Monet, emailed me and said, mm. like, like, there's something like 4.8 million people watching. Which is Good massive. Deal. It's not a bad turnover. Like, that's without the iPlayer. Mm. And it was like, oh, God, it was terrible. And then that Friday, all week, I was freaked out by it. Yeah. Then that Friday, I got on the train, come back to Liverpool. And um, there was a... A lady was watching it, and I was looking at it on her iPad through the gap in the seat, and she was watching this bundle on the iPad. Oh my god! And I was fighting back tears for it. Was so weird. Yeah, yeah. Because I felt so exposed. Yeah. And then we got to call this number. Like I, I rang Anna because she come back home, and I rang Anna. I said, "My head battered here. Mm. Like I'm, I just don't feel right in myself. Mm. Mm. I feel like I, I feel because I was suffering. You're like an imposter. No, I just felt like everyone knew me, and I, like they didn't, you know what I mean. No, but it was no. how I felt. Like, yeah, and yeah. I, it, it was also bringing back PTSD things that had happened, issues that had happened in the police that I never ever dealt with, still haven't dealt with. But like you know, mm. certain jobs that I dealt with that were not great jobs, you know. And yeah. I was having, I was starting having flashbacks and all sorts of ways, shaking and stuff, and it was strange. Yeah, it, yeah. Just like it was like anger and I had gone off mentally, and I come back and um, and I said to me, do you know what? Calm down. Yeah. I'll pick you up at Lime Street and I'll take you to Calderstones and we'll go for a walk around this big park in Liverpool called mm. Calderstones Park. Yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful park and we'll bring the dog and me and you just have a walk. Mm. And I went, yeah, all right, that's good. So we got, we buy an ice cream. Mm. I'm like a toddler. Yeah. Get an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just walk around the park. Yeah, 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 yeah but let's do that. So we got to Calderstones, we get out the car and I'm feeling better because I'm with her and I've calmed down. The dog's there. Mm. And we start walking and like literally we haven't got out the car park. And this fella diverts, he's walking with his wife and his kid and he, he diverts towards me. And he's walking towards me and he points at me and he goes, brilliant show that, mate, thanks for that. And I mm. think he must wait for emergency services. Yeah. And I went, no, no, sorry, mate. Yeah. He said, oh, brilliant show, mate. Import. And he walks on. And I said to her, I can't take this. Yeah. And she said, look, just keep walking. It's going to be all right. Mm. Phil, we walked about another 50 foot. And some fellas walking down with his girlfriend. And he goes, and points. Mm. And I said, oh, fuck this, I'm going home. And she said, don't be daft. And this fella starts walking towards me. And I'm going, oh, I don't want to be in the And he walks up to me and he went, what breed of dogs that means? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last time anyone's ever let on to me about the show. And it all just ended. And that become me recovery again going forward. Oh, we still that. like that was the end of it and it's yeah. never happened again. I've been I've done events and stuff where people have talked about the show, but nobody's ever come up to me in a random thing and just yeah. gone because nobody knows who I am, you know what I mean? Like you put a photo, you can put a photo of Zaffy Duck on this, no one will know from me or not, you know. <laughs> but like it was just I felt exposed. Yeah. So I, I'm going into season two, which I'm in the middle of writing now at the yeah. moment. It, I'm going to do with it differently. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, definitely going to hold stuff back. I might, yeah, yeah. I might do less media as well. Yeah. Although, the, although yeah. the, 
my own vanity says, um, I won't like. Yeah. You know, because I enjoy the attention. Yeah. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because it, it is exposing. Oh, God, yeah, totally. And, I, and I, I haven't read the script yet, but I'm, I can't wait. Don't build your hopes up. To read. Oh, yeah. I don't. <laughs> Flash in the pan. No, 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 no. I doubt that, I doubt that. So what what else? Obviously, Responder, and then, yeah. you know, what, I know you've got other stuff that you're working on as well. What? what yeah, what's... I've got a couple of things with the BBC, which yeah. they're open to get off the ground, because um, I just love the BBC, and I don't think people are fighting hard enough for it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think I've got a couple of things for the BBC. And I've got a thing, which a thing with Martin, um, mm. which I'm open to, we're going out to the States in May. Yeah. This will be going to buy Jimmy Savick's house. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if that takes off, um, I might buy Silla's house, actually. Silla's house. Off. Yeah, uh, I might uh, go for yeah, Silla's yeah. house. Is nice. Yeah, with the big pool. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> so if that happens in the States, and that'll yeah. be a couple of years out there. And then, um, you know, so there's all sorts going on. I want to write another book as well. I've got that going yeah. on. And uh, you know what? I, I genuinely, genuinely, like, might be at the tip next year. And I'll be all right as well. I mean, it's, it won't be all right as well. I, I highly doubt that, but yeah. I know, I know, but I mean, it'll be all right, you know. For yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it won't be like, it'll just be another. You know, because this is the thing about, like, if this all goes wrong and if season two is terrible, I don't think it is, but if it is, um, and it all goes wrong, I'll just do something else. Mm. I'll just find something else. Yeah. You know, I still haven't got the qualifications to get an office job, so yeah. I will just <laughs> find something else to do that makes me feel like this. Yeah. You know, and keep going. What what advice would you give anyone? Oh God! Anyone wanting to get be a, become a writer? There's two things I always say to people: is think tactically, mm. because it's all right writing Heathcliff standing on a cliff edge overlooking the moors. Mm. It's brilliant, but think about who's going to read it and where it's going to go. Yeah, and you know, most importantly, think: is it any good? Mm. There's no, you know, because there was a guy I did an event a couple of months ago and uh, I was talking about the writers' room. The writers' room were amazing. BBC writers' room, phenomenal. Mm. And um, I said, like, you know, put something in all this. And this fella said to me, I've submitted to the writers' room 30 times and I've got nowhere with them. They're useless. And I said, no, mate, you just might be shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, think, are you any good? Mm. And if you're not any good, that doesn't mean you can't get better. But be, yeah. look at your own stuff and go, am I any good at this? Yeah, is, is this yeah. good? Can I make this better? Can I move it forward? Can I constantly... Every line, you're right, mm. should matter. Yeah. Every line... like I have this thing about like every character um, who's got more than two lines. I need to know everything about them. I need yeah, to know the yeah. backstory. I need to know everything about them. And then suddenly they become... Marco was a, a, a bit part of character. In was, was he? Literally, yeah. he was in it just for me to do an exercise. Wow. Just to write, talk to myself and get... And now he's nominated for a BAFTA. Unbelievable. It's not me. That, that's Josh. He's just one of the greatest actors I've ever Well, he's, a, he's, he's an amazing actor, but you're yeah. also an amazing writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but so, yeah, so that's the thing is constantly ask yourself, um, yeah. ask yourself, am I any good at this? Yeah. And constantly think two steps ahead of when it's finished. Yeah, yeah. Just constantly, like, not like what production company has sent it to. Start thinking what actor is going to read this after the production company have bought it. Mm. You know? Yeah. And like, just think, it's like, it's a long-term project. Yeah. It's like, it's not, you know, just getting to the end of writing the script is so important and brilliant. But be thinking, who's going to read this after me? Mm. Mm. Where can it be going? Like, cause the, like, it's pointless getting to a point and going, I've written this thing, 
and it's took me nine months tonight mm. and get it as good as it can be. And I'm going to spend another six months thinking about where it's going to go and get rejected. What you should be doing is going, I'm three months into this thing yeah, and it's getting good. It's going to be better, but it's getting good. So when I'm on Instagram, mm. instead of just scrolling through reels, and I'm guilty of this as well, I'm going to start looking at producers, yeah. up-and-coming directors, yeah. up-and-coming editors, yeah. up-and-coming theatre companies, and start thinking, is anyone there who's going to read this and give it a boost? Yeah, yeah. And be nice to people as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And be yourself in meetings. Oh, absolutely, be yourself in meetings. Yeah, brilliant, Don't mate. swear as much as me, do <laughs> <laughs> oh mate listen it's been absolutely amazing My pleasure, it's been great to see you, I mean I, I love your story yeah. anyway but that was like such an insight mate honestly do you know what I love about you is, is that like um, one of what we talk past your alpha is every other night yeah. <laughs> is, um, <laughs> is um, everyone hates Steve on the show mm. like one of the great joys of that show on social media was watching how many people hated you and wanted Rachel to kick your head in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yet yeah. you're one of the loveliest fellas I've ever met in the industry <laughs> and it's really funny how, like, everyone hates yeah. you. Well, people, I get I, I get recognised now and again for, for the... I remember being in a restaurant once with with, uh, with my wife and that and some fellas at the bar. He's like, you're a horrible bastard, aren't you? <laughs> and then, and then me, with my wife and, she, and he was just like... Fucking get away from him! Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's just mad, isn't it? You know, and it's it's sort of like because we were on social media, and everyone's going kick his head in, like yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and everything yeah. else. Like, and then you, when you actually meet, you're like, you're lovely, you know. But anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone was telling us, someone was saying the other day about that scene um, in the fire station when yeah. when she's going off. Someone was talking to me about it, not realizing that I was in it. In it, wow. I was pl- uh, Steve, nice. and they were like, yeah, and it was just like, and it was so powerful, and listen, so she, she was amazing, and he's yeah. a horrible bastard. And I was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There was about, there was about. <laughs> I reckon there must have been about ten versions of that scene, yeah. and about ten drafts of each version. Yeah, and it was always the thing about, and where it kept going wrong was, um, and this is this thing about reading it and, and thinking about it as somebody else. That mm. was what I was always doing. Was it? it I know we're starting the podcast again. Here. We don't need to get out, but no, um, that's good. I, I'd write it like, oh, like what? What do people want to see? Here? Do you want to see Martin battering mm. him? Yeah. Do you want to see Martin go in there like a Terminator and batter them? Mm. But then you'd think, so I'd write that. And I'd go, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is great because we've had no punch-ups. Like, let's get Martin to go punch-up. And Martin loves a punch-up. This would be great. But then you'd think about it. I'd draft it and draft it and draft it and get really tight. But then you've got to, you go away and you walk the dog or you sit in the bog or whatever you do. Mm. You think about it and think about it and think about it. You go, actually, you know what? I'm not being fair to Rachel. Yeah. She needs more agency there. So I'll let her go in. Yeah, and then bottle out and come back, and the man can go, and that's what he, it's that thing about like, like never just go and that'll do. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, we yeah, ended yeah. up with, do you know what? Actually, Rachel needs to go in there and do it. Yeah, that person, like if that person will forever know that she went in there and yeah. and did it, mm. and she pushed through that that door. But then the genie, not the genius, the the joy of that is that's given me a whole. Like, if I'd just come for Martin Batterson, yeah, that would have been the end of your story. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it would have been great. Mm. And everyone would have gone, yeah, well, it's Batterson. Yeah. Whereas her going in and doing it, mm. it's changed her for the rest of her life. Yeah, absolutely. As a character, as yeah. a human being, yeah. it's changed yeah. Rachel for the rest of her life, which has just suddenly given me a million more things to do with Rachel yeah. than what I would have had as mm. someone who was just... 
you know, if someone's feeding you soup all day, yeah, yeah, you're never gonna spill it. Yeah. Whereas if you pick up that spoon and you throw soup all over the gaff, mm. it's far more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. worst writing analogy in the world, but I, I, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the restaurant with me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like I said, I can't wait to read the, the, so. the new scripts and, um, and, and see it on the, on the telly again. Thanks, mate. Pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Been brilliant. Yeah, loved it. Nice one.